Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here together with my Rabbi Mali Brasky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon for our weekly discussion of religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. Uh, our topic today is not going to be the racial tensions and the, tra- the traumatic uh, uh, discussions and issues that are, that are troubling much of the United States and the world. For a very simple reason, I'm gonna. Each of us gonna say a word about it, but the the reason is because for me, we are here living in Israel, and and while we read the news and while we follow what's going on, it is not in the forefront of the issues that Israelis are addressing and discussing and dealing with. We have other issues that we're dealing with, and it, it seems to me, just as sometimes we feel the other way around when people comment on what's going on here without without living it and understanding it. I think, I think it would be inappropriate. But for me, another, another reason comes up, which is a mission I thought of from Pirkei Avot. The mission says, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, Al tirtzet chabircha b'sha'at ka'aso, ve'al tenach amenu b'sha'at shemeto mutal lefanav, ve'al tish'alo b'sha'at nidro, ve'al tish'tadeli b'oto b'sha'at kilkalto. Kalkalato. Meaning, and I, I focused on this, tenach amenu b'sha'at shemeto mutal lefanav. I feel like America is still the sha'at shemeto mutal lefanav. That, that, there is just a sense of pain and anguish that precludes the idea of having a discussion of issues, per se, which is what we do. But instead, when a person is made to as mutalifanab, you just have to feel their pain. You have to express anguish, and you have to empathize with the pain that they have. And I think that's what's appropriate for, for me to do uh, in, in this kind of discussion. The time will come to talk about issues and to talk about politics and try to about solving problems. But I don't feel that time is now, and maybe it's not time ever for me sitting here in Israel to discuss it. Molly? Um, I thought you said that beautifully, and I agree with you very, very deeply. Um, I do feel a need. as we, we, you know, it's One of the things I think that came out of some of our discussions in the past was that there's this expectation, and I've actually called it, 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 you know, in, in different forums when Israel is suffering, I've called on Americans and said, can you please identify with what we're going through here? And I think we're starting to realize that diaspora communities um, are, are, are in the same way calling on Israelis to be sensitive to their experiences. And so therefore, I, I identify very much with what you're saying of just identifying with the anguish and with the pain. Um, and, and I also agree with the second statement you made, which is, I think there is a lot to unpack. I think there's a lot of conversations to be had. But I don't, I, I, as you said, right now, in this moment and in this forum, I think the best response is to say um, that, we, that we empathize with all of the pain, the, the pain of all the communities in America. Um, and, um, and, and I think that's, that's, that's really correct. I think that's the right, that's the right, um, that's the message that I think we should be sending from here. I agree with that very, very deeply. Yeah. Of Johnny, you're you're not from America, but obviously you follow these things. What's your what's your thought? Uh, my thought is obviously uh, not just over the past few weeks, but certainly during the last few weeks, I've been gripped by the news, by the headlines, by the stories. Use the word pain. Uh, by the tragedies and, and by the loss of lives uh, that has taken place in America in, in so many different contexts, each of which is its story. Each person themselves is a universe. And uh, and uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of flippant remarks and at times thoughtless remarks. My belief is, uh, my task, especially as a non-American, is to understand a little bit more of context. I think there are multiple layers 
uh, of of tensions that um, that need to be understood before people make quick quips. Uh, and so I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to learn uh, from thoughtful commentators from all many different uh, backgrounds. And I appreciate, in fact, the richness of the conversation taking place in print media and online media. Uh, we need to daven. We need to daven for everybody who experiences tragedy and experiences loss. And that's certainly the case. Uh, but nevertheless, it's important also to say that some of the topics being discussed uh, relating to, to race and racism, uh, I've been spoke, speaking about for some time. Uh, it's sometimes tragic that we only speak about these important topics when a tragedy occurs. Uh, I think that's regrettable. I think we come up with solutions, not just in knee-jerk um, responses. And so I'm very happy to speak about that topic uh, in future occasions. And if anybody's particularly interested in my view, feel free to contact me directly. Okay, very good. So let's move on to our to the topic that we picked today, uh, which is a topic that was sent to us by a reader who asked the following. Um, not sure if it's through halachic. She asked us to discuss the concept of taking on an Israeli psak or minhag after making aliyah. Gelatin, hadrin meat, kidneyot, shemen kidneyot, particularly if you were keeping these things by default in chutzlaret, rather than by specific minhag. Should you change your minhag to become more Israeli? Is there a value to having a unified minhag for the Israeli melting pot, i.e. Uh, like Nusach Achim? So I think before we talk about policy, let's go around uh, and talk about, about practice. Did you, I'll throw it to each of you, did you change a minhag or minhagim when you moved to Israel? And looking back now, do you think that was the right choice? We'll start with Johnny. Um, well, I think the question, by the way, is fascinating, although it certainly presumes there are singular Israeli minhagim. Uh, I think... Wait, actually, Johnny, can I, I want to hold on a second and take it back. The first question is, <laughs> before you ask, are you allowed to change minhagim? You're a rabbi, so I'm asking you your halachic opinion. May one change minhagim? And then, if you felt that you are allowed to, or even if you feel you're not allowed to, did you anyway? Firstly, the, I mean, that give us a very, very complicated area. And whatever we do, even if we speak for many hours, we won't be able to fully comprehensively discuss things because you've got personal minhagim and community minhagim. Okay, you have temporary minhagim and you have timeless, shall we say, minhagim. You have minhagim which are recently established and established many, many years ago. And each, of course, have their own flavor, have their own particular uh, identity. You have minhagim in terms of nusach and tefillah, which are treated slightly differently to those in terms of practice. So, uh, I would say, if you ask me kind of the headline, kind of one bullet point, can you change minhagim? We are generally taught to preserve the minhagim that we've been given, but at the same time, we're also told the minhagim are often a reflection of where we come from, not just in terms of family, but also education and location. And consequently, uh, when a person learns more and perhaps moves different places, naturally, there will be some kind of morphing, some kind of adaptation, either because there are certain things that aren't present in the current community that previously were present in the previous community, or because, as I say, you know more. So I think minhagim is something where we are 
taught to be loyal, to hold on fast to uh, the traditions of the past, nevertheless, there are other variables that take place in life that are reflected in the honest discussions amongst the poskim that people do change in response to changing times and places. There also is the That's, concept of, of minhaga makom. And by definition, when you change your makom, the idea of adapting minhaga makom has a certain pull as well. Right, that's why I said in terms of location. And so, you know, when people sometimes are very, very singular. They say, a person can't change their minute. That's just not entirely the case. And then some people say, a person can always change a minute whenever they move. And I say, it's not entirely the case as well. Obviously, let's say it's a complex topic. Uh, and it depends on a whole variety of backgrounds and also the lucidity the, of the minhagim that you've received. If a person's been told, kind of, shall we say, almost in a textbook way, this is what we've always been doing. We in our family for for many, many years, and, and it should serve you well in the future, there's really no reason to necessarily change that unless some kind of crisis occurs or you move to a place which is in direct conflict with it. But I don't think everybody quite lives that way. Uh, and, and as a result of that, People find their way and as a result adapt to uh, where they're at, obviously being reflective of and, and sensitive to uh, their, their, where they've come from and where they're Okay, at. so with that in mind, pick a minute that, right. that you changed and tell us why you changed it. Uh, I'll tell you two. Number one is that although I'm born Sephardi, I grew up in, in an Ashkenazi community and my entire family uh, uh, waited three hours between meat and milk. Having studied smicha, uh, I realized that, that was, there was probably a preferred option of waiting six hours, certainly as a Sephardi. Uh, and as somebody who, amongst the Sfarmai studies, that of Rav Yosef, who sees Rav Yosef Kara as a Marad Atra, the leading halachic voice of the land of Israel, when I made Aliyah, I made a personal decision to shift from three hours to six hours, as if to nod my head uh, in recognition of that fact, and to try and also upgrade uh, what I do. In fact, just as a complete a slight aside, you know, we generally adopt... Uh, a certain minhagim between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a certain, if you call it Chumrat or Hidurim, every year I do that, and uh, most Baruch Hashem seems to stay with me from then on. So my first year coming here, that's what I did, and uh, now coming up to, I think it's uh, what, eight years, um, uh, sorry, uh, what year are we? Yeah, eight years down the line. That's, <laughs> uh, that's it's, it's still six hours. I'm still uh, having very, very power of Shalos Suzes. That's point number one. Point number two, though, just a quick, uh, completely different thing is I come from the UK where shirt and tie is like a given uh, for most biz business meetings and shul. And I live in a country where it's swelteringly hot and where the norms of the uh, neighborhood, certainly where I live, it isn't quite that case. Interestingly, over the last few decades, there's also been a shift in public perception of ties. I'll give you one quick example you may not be aware of, which is a couple of years ago in the House of Commons of British Parliament, somebody turned up without a tie. A public complaint was made to the Speaker of the House. Surely this is a disrespect to the House. And, and the ruling was made then and there. You can see the video that, in fact, if you look smart, even absent of a tie, that's just good and fine. So no longer a tie is a necessary expression of smartness. And I, here in uh, Evanshmuel, I do not wear... Uh, I'm, I'm going to push back and say that that's not minhagamakom. I don't see that as minhagamakom. That's changing uh, clothing styles over the course of time. But we're going to go to Molly. Molly, what minhag did you... Uh, it's been a long time. You made Aliyah many years ago. So... Okay, so... I, what was I, it? What did you change? And, and was it the right choice? Okay, so the only thing I can really think of... My background is I come from a, from a Yekish family that is very Yekish. Very aware of its origins. Very proud of its 
roots, very aware of it's been hugging. Um, almost to the point of like, if you don't do it the yekish way, it's like, that's not how we do it. You know, there's like a, you know, so, um, well, that's the whole, I mean, Hagashkina is like the Yekimar, Ashkenaz, yeah. like that's like, the whole religion. It's in Mamash. It's like, you know, I have relatives who cannot enjoy um, davening if the tune was the wrong tune. Like, that was not a good whatever, because that was not a good halal on Sukkot morning, because I didn't do the right Hodul Hashem Kitov, right? And again, every Shabbos of the year almost there's a tune for the Shiramalos you sing. Ad Kedekach, that when it comes to Simchas Torah, there's something called, it's also the tune of the, tune of the Kaddish and Shul. There's the Yaris Kaddish. It always sounds like a German drinking tune to me. Yeah, march, some kind of march. Just like from our hometown, like a Bishop's time, where you, they all are probably originated in the, in the pubs. It's probably true. Um, so, so for me, there's a, exactly, Ruby's doing the like, you know, the beer swinging back and forth. So for me, I've always been super aware of that piece. And that's why um, all my life, I, I, I basically had the philosophy that, like, as opposed to supporting the idea of Nusach Achid, I, I very much prefer an approach that says real Achdut is embracing um, all of the beautiful cultures that come together and not to try to flatten them into some kind of parv, you know, spam, nothing, right, where everything's the same, to appreciate all the beautiful cultures. And, I, and to, just to, to clarify that point, I want to say that my mother, um, who was the queen of, that's not how, you know, that's not Yekish Minhag, and, you know, she did things, you know, you got to do it the Yekish way. Um, her favorite, they used to come for, my parents used to come for, for uh, Sukkot, her favorite moment on Simchat Torah was when the Sephardim would come out with their Sephardi Sifrei Torah from the Sephardi Shul, and the Ashkenazi Shul would meet them, and they would have a phone, and, you know, she would talk about, I went into the Sephardi Shul, I watched it, and it was so fascinating, right? So, like, to me, it's about holding the tension. Yeah, the Mali, that reminds me, a lot of people very much love um, Parshat Zachor. Because they love when all the different, you know, lanings get up, and it shows, like, the richness of the different... Yeah. Yeah. I used to love it. Now I just want them to finish. But right, because we're tired. Okay. So I just want to say one more thing, because in my mind, this is how, this is like when you said, did anything change? The one thing that I did change, and it's a combination of also marrying into a different um, minhag, but it's also really because of Eretz Yisrael. Yekim holds Fira from Rosh Chodesh until Shavuot. And the reason I was always told by my mother is because that's when the Crusades happened. And the minhage avelut of the crusade of 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 Sphira in the Yekish consciousness are tied to the tragedy of the crusade. Another Yekish minhag, you only say Avarachamim twice a year, Rosh Chodesh Sivan, and I'm thinking Rosh Chodesh Av. If there's any Yekim out there who can correct me, check Rav Hamburger's book about you know minhage Ashkenaz. I believe that's 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 the minhag. That's the only time to say Avarachamim during the year because because Sivan is the time of the crusade. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, so therefore, no, it's the time you say Avarachamim on Birchat HaChodesh, meaning in light of the fact that you wouldn't, because of Birchat HaChodesh, you'd still say it, even on Rosh Chodesh. I think so. I, I think yeah, so. that sounds right. I, I, somebody has to check okay. for me, because I just know that there's like an issue with, we don't say Avarachamim. You know, that's the line that echoes in my head. Um, Yakim, don't say it. I only say it. You know, but yeah, you're probably right. Um, and I'm just not sure. Anyway, the point is, so f- when they came to Israel, it was almost impossible because almost all of Israel holds Sphira, almost all the world, actually, but but certainly in Israel, um, holds Sphira until Lagba Omer. 
And, you know, we were invited to wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding, and simcha after simcha after Lagba Omer, it became almost impossible. And so I switched, with, not without a sense of guilt. And then um, there was a, a Facebook post, I think it was on Rav Sherlow's page, where he spoke about, you know, there's this large question about, like, should we really view Svira as a time of mourning, and really that's a misunderstanding, and it's more like Cholomoed, and all this stuff. And I commented on that post, and I said, to me, Svira is a time of mourning, because to me, it's about the Ashkenazi experience in the Crusades. And the response I got was, if we, if, if in Israel, we mourned every Eidah's national tragedy, we would be mourning all, day, all year long, right? Like if we mourned for like what the Ethiopians went through during their time of mourning and what the, what the Sephardim went through, you know, in their time of mourning, we would never have an, a, a, a time that's not mourning. Now, I thought that was a little bit dismissive. I don't think Rav Sherlo wrote it, by the way, to be, it's not, I'm not take, putting on Rav Sherlo. I've responded, responded, I don't remember who it was. Um, but, but, but it highlighted for me the tension between what I just said before, which is holding the beauty of all the different the, all the different customs, but at the same time, I, it's not it's not that I don't see the value in the recognition that we're in it that like, and it ties for me also to my Zionism. Like we're in a new historical reality. We are in Chalta Degula. We are no longer in Galut. And so moving for, from our Galuti experiences and the Minhagim of Galut to a Geula experience, and perhaps creating new Minhagim, or or perhaps like um, modifying the way we the way we. We integrate our minhagim so that so that they fit into like a new experiential reality of of shivat Sion does speak to me as well. So, so okay, so I, I'm going to come back to that. I want remind me to come back to it because I do want to talk about the broader, broader issue after we talk about specifics. I want to mention two minhagim that that I changed when I made aliyah. One was I changed my havara. I changed my pronunciation in davening. Yeah. Because I always I always daven in Ashkenazis, and and to me daven Ashkenazis felt very natural. I have to say, uh, whenever I heard I don't even I would have heard Shirim talking you know teaching Habaras Faradit, it always seemed foreign to me. So now that I do it all the time, I'm sure it seems foreign to other people as well. But the reason I changed and I did it despite the fact that there there was again I would say halachic resistance. Yeah. As I felt that the argument in favor was too compelling, I felt that if if tefillah is supposed to be a conversation with God, which I think it is, and I try to make it whenever I can focus enough, then how could I have a conversation with God using a Hebrew and a pronunciation that I would never talk to anybody in? Meaning, it, it I felt that Ashkenazis, once I would felt comfortable talking in Hebrew, I felt that Ashkenazis was, was ritualizing my prayer in a way that was distancing me from having a conversation with God. And my experience bore that out for me personally. I'm not saying anybody else should do, do, do it. They should all ask their local Orthodox rabbi, of course. But experience is borne that out, that I, I felt feel more like I'm speaking with God than davening. And for me, that was an important switch that I had. And really, not necessarily, I don't know why necessarily when I made Aliyah, per se. Um, but that was just the experience that I had. That's number one. Number two was at my son's bar mitzvah. And this has, again, nothing to do with Aliyah per se. When my sons became bar mitzvah, I did a lot of research into the subject. And I have become, and I'm still convinced, that the minhag, not to wear a talit until marriage, is based on a misunderstanding of the sources. And in any event, makes no sense whatsoever. The idea that a person would put off being the kayim, a mitzvah, that has a possibility of being the oraita until you're wed, until you're married, 
very much does not resonate with me. And so I broke it. And my, I, I brought a talit for my, for my sons, and they were a talit gadol, and shalom Yisrael, baruch Hashem, you know, I, I felt. So those were not uh, necessarily aliyah related. Uh, the, the Havara was definitely aliyah related. But I think that when you come here, the idea of minhag, when you come to like a melting pot, and I want to get to the next, to, to the next discussion, when you come to a melting pot, like a community where you come to in Israel, where people are coming from literally all over the world, and you sit in shul and behind a guy whose parents are from Morocco, and in front of a person whose parents were from Manchester, and somebody else came from Canada, and another person came from, you know, from, from Uruguay. So what does it mean to now have a minhag if it were, like the idea of minhag makom, it had power and was important, but you start to wonder, like, I don't know, like, does it, does it matter that much? I remember very clearly when we first, when we first came to the shul, when we first built, like Yad Binyamin, that many of the Israelis were terribly afraid that the Anglos would take over their shul and it would become an American shul, and then they'd, like, hate it. So before most, John, I don't know if you remember this, but before most people, like, when the first 50 families had moved in, knowing that, like, 200 families were going to come over the course of the summer, they, they established the bylaws of the shul that it had to be Nusach Achim. Like, God forbid it should be Nusach Ashkenaz. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I, there were huge fights. I said, I tell you, why don't we do this? I have huge fights. And I remember clearly to myself, I really don't think God cares that much about whether I do or do not say, I think he cares much more about whether we get along as a community. And that was very unusual for me, very unique for me. So now, interestingly, in my own personal, when I say Kaddish Yatom, it happened to me today. I said Kaddish for the Amun, I said Biatzmach. When I said Kaddish at the end for like so, I didn't say it because that's not my personal minag. But so what? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I just don't see these things as Brumosha Lolam because they become fodder for arguments and fodder for fights and fodder for strife and conflict. And very, very rarely do they become an avenue to become closer as a people and closer to Kadosh Baruch So Mali, I want to go back to you because you brought up this idea of like Gula and bringing things together that resonated with me. But there's, is there not a sense of Religious hubris to say, wow, we're all coming together and it's the ingathering of the exiles on the one hand. And by that token, though, shouldn't you eat hummus on Pesach? Uh, wait, you're saying. <laughs> you're I saying threw your curveball there. I threw your curveball there. One second. I should eat hummus on Pesach because now we're all together, so therefore I should take on the. the, the... That, that is the prevalent minhag. I've been in grocery stores. Trust me. Okay, fine. So, so let's just clarify. Um, by the way, you should know, I know somebody who did not change their Havara and Tefillah because they were given that Pesach when they came as a Bar Mitzvah boy and still Davin's Ashkenazis before the Abad, and it's hard for them. They feel very uncomfortable with it, but, but that was the Pesach that they were given, and, and they, so I just wanted to share that. Because Johnny, you wanted to say something about that? Uh, well, uh, only because there's, there's a fascinating Tshuva in the, the Minchad Yitzchak. In England, uh, in, in the 50s, there was clearly a groundswell of interest in shuls in the UK shifting to Daven with a more Israeli accent. They wrote to Chief Rabbi Brody. He really wasn't such a posek. So he wrote to Diane Weiss, who was living at the time in Manchester. And the question is, should the United Synagogue, the large synagogue body in the UK, shift its Havara really to show a certain loyalty and alignment to the state of Israel? And he basically said from halachic grounds, no. 
This is your minag. Keep it that way. Now, if you look at the Trevor of Avad Yosef, he says, what are you talking about? The correct Havara is Israeli, really, to emphasize Sephardi. Rabbi Vahadi was never, and, was always in favor of abandoning Ashkenazi minhag in favor of Sephardi minhag. He's well known. Right. <laughs> that, that's, that may be the case. So the, the point is, though, you have two poskim. One is making a strong argument that not only you shouldn't change your minhag, but the Ashkenazi minhag is better. Another person says, of course you should change your minhag, and the Sephardi minhag is better. So, to what extent is ideology playing a part in these halakhic debates? Obviously, leave that to the reader, or, or join one of my classes, because I talk about this. But nevertheless, uh, so I didn't want to interrupt, Mali, but that's a question about uh, Havara, as you say, and people who who, tr- who do things according to the book, because I've got this tshuva here, Chelek Gimel Tshuva Tet of Minchat Yitzchak, that was a psak for the UK, and many, many other people um, around the world who, who perhaps considered such a thing. Um, but as you say, there's, a, there's an implication of that in terms of people who are living here now, um, uh, and how comfortable they are obviously depends on a bunch of things. I'm no, sorry. Okay. No, I just want now. Okay, it's good. You gave me time to think about my answer to Ruby's question, which kind of threw me. So, <laughs> That's why to, I asked it. Okay. So, but according to what I had said before, the answer is no, I should not be eating hummus on Pesach because my belief is that part of the beauty of this um, is not that we're all going to be doing the same thing. It's that we're going to be living this colorful tapestry of all different kinds of inhagim. Yes, when you have families that are going to marry into each other, right, and then how do we manage going to the in-laws and which bin do we take? Okay, then, then there is this, this shift of minhag, and I think that that's beautiful. I, I'm going to push back. Why is the hodgepodge of custom a beautiful thing? I, Why is they do this and I do that? I, I mean, it's, I guess in the okay, religious sense, yes. But we're, ta- we're not talking about, like, dress and color. We're talking about halachic okay, uh, okay. systems. So, I, as an Ashkenazi... Don't like Pesach because you go to the grocery store and everybody okay. buys some right. soy-based meat product. You can't find a dumb thing. I have to go to Kiryat Sefer to go grocery shopping. Okay, I hear that. But I'll tell you what. I do think the hodgepodge of customs is beautiful. Um, I, I, because that's really, to me, that's what diversity is. And I feel like Israel actually moved. Like, and again, maybe this is wrong. Maybe this is like a sociological wrong perspective but that's how i've always viewed it like israel used to think you know like it's like the kibbutz mentality it's like the socialist mentality right the, the good is if we're all the same everybody that's achdos and with time i think israelis are starting to realize that no 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 achdos is really accepting diversity right um the, the the kibbutz model has been replaced by i think a much more tolerant model and Yes, I agree with you that like you could view it as a hodgepodge, but again, I don't. View, I, I do view it as a tapestry. I I, I think I, even that thing where like I have to go to Kiryat Sefer, or in my case, Beitar, right, to find the the badats, whatever it is that I'm looking for, right. Um, I, I'm happy. I'm glad that I live in a country that that has so much space. For, for Sephardi Minhag, because there's so many Sephardim in this country, that's beautiful. Now, the other thing I want to say is there's another phenomenon that we have to identi- that we have to be honest about, which is people wanting to take on customs and kind of saying, oh, because we're all in Eretz Yisrael, but it's really just because they don't want to keep eating kidney oat anymore, right? Or maybe they don't want to be keeping Shevin kidney oat anymore, whatever it is, right? So, 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 like, I think we have to be aware and honest about that, too, and, and, relate to that from a like halachic perspective like when is it well, a- to say so what so then you know what okay yeah okay, they, so want so okay. they want some hummus they want some hummus i mean like 
We act like, oh my God, what's going to happen? once wrote a piece about that. And what he said was, fine, you want to eat kidney oat on, on Pesach? Then you got to get up every single day of, of Elo and go to Svadi Slichov. You, Why? It's a, it's a tapestry. Because you can't just take the kulas. You, you got to take the whole picture. Because it's still halacha. Meaning, meaning, here is also like the lot. It's not like eating kidney oat or not eating kidney oat. Maybe this is a question for Johnny to answer, but like the line between like minhag and halacha, right? It's like, I don't want to eat kidney oat on Pesach, not just because like it's not my minhag, but it's like my halachic, my, my, you know. What? That's because you were, that's because you were raised, that's because you were raised in a, in a halachic tradition where kidney yod was exactly the same as if, if you took out a, a challah roll and right. ate it on okay. Pesach. And I'll give that, you that was our awareness. Right. Oh so my God, it's right. My flexibility will be, like, for example, if, if we had, like, a Shabbos going into a, a Yantif, right? So we would make kidney oat and eat it on Shabbos, you know, and, I, and you could use the kidney oat pot or whatever it is. My mother almost fainted, right? But, do you, like, do you, I remember we had baby, we had baby, um, baby formula when we had little babies. And the baby formula was kidney oat. And you had to do it in, a, in like the bathroom correct, sink, correct. And because I, and like you know, right? Like, right. Really? So there, like, there, there, I agree, and there I think the loosening is healthy. Um, I, I'm just saying that like, the, to just to just adopt min hugging because they make your life easier. I think I don't like it because I think I think that that that, that there is a certain halachic integrity to. Um, if you want to take on a minhag and you want to change your either family minhag or, or your adati minhag or whatever it is, I think you should think about the, like, that there are two competing values there and whether that's something you really want to do. And, and okay. the halachic piece there. I don't think it's like so move on my love. Yeah, let's just throw kidney out the window. It's no nonsense anyway. The Spartan have it right. You know what? Let's only pizza for, let's go with the, you know, let's only pizza for, for Leila Seder. See what you just did? See what you just did? I know. Kidney out and pizza are not the same thing. <laughs> Is that there's a slippery slope where you can distinguish those things. But I think a lot of times for a lot of people, they're not thinking like that. They're just thinking, I, I don't want to minimize people. I don't want to make people. But that's exactly my point. That's what minhag is. It's minhag. And when we conflate, and, and that is exactly I, Ashkenaz, okay, the Ashkenazi position for Ben Tam, minhag Yisrael alachahu, that this is alacha. I believe in minhagay makom, minhagay eda, if that's how you want to say it. I believe in family minhag. I believe it's. See, you just switch from minhag makom because you can't say it. Now, I want to put I'm that saying, again I also. And you also can't say minhag eda. You also can't say minhag eda. You can't say minhag eda because you didn't marry a yaki. So you don't have minhag eda. I mean, I will tell you from my personal experience. In theory, according to the halacha, you shouldn't. Okay, I'm just saying, I think that like we should respect the concept of minhag. I don't think we should just throw it out because it's easy and it's convenient and I just want to have some hummus. I just, I don't think that that's that's proper. I want to tell you, I agree with you. I want to, I want to, but I want to push back on one other thing. Why, where my instinct comes from. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, Johnny wanted to say something. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought I'd like to I'd like to tell you just a little bit about Nusach um, Achid because a lot of you have been speaking about it, and the question I also did, and it's a topic that I've done quite a bit of research in. Well, just explain for people listening if they don't know what Nusach Achid is. 
Yeah. We're going to get to it because it's a story of three parts. So just bear with me. I'll be as brief as possible. So just as the state of Israel was established um, and all the soldiers were, were fighting, defending the state of Israel, the first Pesach after the state of Israel was declared in 1949. And you have soldiers gathered together in, in army bases celebrating Pesach. Which Haggadah do they use? The answer is they're using some kind of secular Haggadah that's been pr- brought together by the kibbutz movement. Chief Rabbi Goran sees this, he goes crazy, he goes ballistic, and he speaks to David Ben-Gurion and says, I'm not overseeing this n- nonsense, right? They don't even have mention of some of the core stories of, of uh, Medina Israel. Now, Ben-Gurion talked about this melting pot. He says, you know, Rabbi Goran, I agree. I want to keep people together. The army is supposed to be bringing the people together. You know what? I'm going to give you your job. Come up with a, a Haggadah that reflects the diversity of the state of Israel. That was the first Minhag Achid uh, uh, literary contribution a Haggadah for all the soldiers in the army we have uh, various different copies of them uh, in, in archives they're still used to this day that was I mean a Haggadah with a little bit of Sfardim a little bit of Ashkenaz a little bit of Ethiopian there were footnotes that Rav Goran wrote it's fascinating I'll happily send my article to whoever's interested there was, there was no Ethiopian anything in that Haggadah I can tell you that <laughs> no, well, not, not so much but the point is though it, it uh, it's a fascinating story which deserves uh, a little bit more attention. Uh, as I said, it's, it's, it's. This is a good time to mention that Rajai Salam is going to be giving a series of Shirim over the course of the summer. <laughs> Please. And, uh, sh- no, okay, no, now. I'm serious. Johnny, why do you think we do this? It's important to mention that Johnny's going to be giving a series of Shirim. If you want to register for his Shirim, reach out to him on his Facebook page. Thank you. Now, story, story number two, thank you. Uh, story number two is after he made this Haggadah, which was a great success, used in all army bases across the country, Rav Goran said, you know what? Everyone's going to different places of worship on Shabbat in the army bases. This is also crazy, but you know, we haven't got so many resources. So he said, I'm going to try and put together a Sidur, which is Nusach Achid. That means taking a little bit of this, taking a little bit of that. Now, he claimed to actually... Uh, be uh, reflective of many, many different minhagim. In the end, it's Nusach Sfarad with a twist. I have one literally in my hand. Um, and so there are quite a few critics. Some people adopted the Nusach Achid Sidur. Some people dismissed and said, you know, you actually haven't been so inclusive of all the many diverse uh, uh, c- communities here in the state of Israel. Still, this became the default Sidur of soldiers in the army with some exception. Hey Johnny, isn't this, However, this is the reflective of Gurin's larger desire to unify, that Israel become the, you know, the unifying force of all the Jewish people, also in halakha, in law, etc., etc.? Correct, but now, the truth is, though, it, it wasn't fully responded to, so he had an idea. You know what, if I get every kid in every school to use a Nusach Achid uh, uh, Sidur, I can change the face of the state of Israel. And he got pushback from parents. He had Sephardi parents saying, no, I want my kid to daven out Nusach, right? You had other Ashkenazim who said, we want them to daven out. And so he was unsuccessful in getting this to be the singular Sidur used in schools. And then the third verge part of the story was where he tried to make a Nusach Achid Machzor. For Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Why have many different services and army bases? You can have one thing. How have that failed? Because you know what? People want the tunes that they heard from their parents and grandparents' shuls, no matter where you came from. And so you have really a story of three parts about Nusach Achim. Johnny, it's interesting. It's interesting. Sohar, a couple of years ago, came out with a Slichot Achim. That yeah. I mean, a unified Slichot that combines both elements. And it has been adopted by many schools yes, that have this challenge. Yes, and I know people who went to schools right. and found that and flipped out and said, how dare you start this? I, I keep my <laughs> nusach, and what exactly are you doing without warning me? 
some, I some, wish, some I wish. I, I'm willing to adopt Nusach Sfarad for Sichot as long as I don't have to do it for Homa. That, that's my deal. <laughs> right. So the, the point is, though, that the, from this whole story of Nusach Chid, it's quite clear that you can a melting pot works for certain things when people are sitting together having this singular experience. But when there is more diversity, which is core to the emotional experience that people are used to, and remember, actually it seemed to be, not quite, I mean, the word offensive perhaps is the wrong term, but it jars with that memory. And so the more he tried to create this singular unified book or, or, or volume, uh, when he had special moments of special memories, the more people said, thanks, but no thanks. Don't forget the Haggadah. Most of us don't. We read the words, but it's really about the story. It's really about the spirit. It's really about the song. Really about the tunes. Really about the tunes. I'll say one. I'll say one's first. Yeah, I, I, I just, you, so, have, you got me thinking. That's what you said, though, is what's so interesting is we remember that which we grew up with. Which means I grew up with tune XYZ, my children, or a custom XYZ. My children will grow up with something very different. Which means that although we think our minhag, and I'm, I'm writing about this now, we think that our, that our minhag, it preserves, what it does is it molds, it, 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 it morphs over time in, in reality. Thinking that we're preserving original minhag, we're in fact morphing it to our memory and to what we like and to what we associated with. Right, uh, exactly correct. Now that's what I said in the introduction. The f- meaning, minhagim naturally ebb according to location and according to situation. That doesn't mean you should actively and deliberately change them, but there are changes that occur over time. I'll just give one shout out though to a beautiful project which I really, really uh, is, I'm very, very moved by. It's a, a series of sidurim called Yachad Shivte Israel. Now what they've been, what this is, is I mean, I've got one in my hand. It's a Ashkenazi Sidur, meaning for somebody who davened Nusach Ashkenaz, who's davening in a Sfarad place so that you can respond to the prayers that you don't know. And he's got the flip one, which is a Sfaradi Sidur, which has a bit of Ashkenazi tefillah that you can respond to the bits that you don't the know. The first one will this sell fine. The second one won't sell one copy. Not one. <laughs> if, you know, if you know... Yes, I know I'm sounding cynical, but no, somehow, but in our shul, somehow in our shul, a dut mizrach, somehow, the guys who dive in the dut mizrach, somehow it finds its way, and these guys dive in the dut mizrach. God forbid that somebody should dive in Nusach Ashkenaz in the Smarty Shul, because, you know, and they're much, they're just more makbid. They just care much more than we do. That's all. Okay, I, but I just I want to explain the philosophy. It's sort of, sort of admirable. But the philosophy of this Sidur isn't to try and say there's a singular text that everyone has to do. Meaning, this isn't Rav yeah. Goran's Nusach Achid. This is saying everyone has their own uh, Nuschaot, right? Which, of course, are very, very similar. But let's try and make an, an endeavor to join in with the ones that we don't know and give people that text. So I'm actually a big fan of this concept, this project of Yachad Shivte Yisrael, uh, and they've just published a weekday Sidur. Mali, in your show, is it a Nusach Chazan or one Nusach? Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. I, it's something I like very much. But I mean, first of all, there's a, there's, the, there are, there's a Sardi show, there's a Temani show, and then there's the... Um, Broadly speaking, Ashkenazi shul, right? Which could be Nusach Ashkenaz or Nusach Svard. And the- right, you see that? You see that double standard? The Svardi shul is always farting. The Temanu shul is always Temani, and then your shul is whatever the Chazan wants. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's not really Svardi. Nusach Svard is Hasidish. Nusach Svard is Nusach Ari. Right? It's not really. It's still. It's still Europeans. Right? It's so. Anyway, in that shul, just so you know, in the Ashkenazi, but you're right. They don't have Mizrach shul. Um, like the Sfardi show, they don't. They, you're right. They're not playing around with their, with their. No way. 
need to no way. Let's say something and then I'll, I'll finish. One, one yeah. second, I, Johnny. Yeah, sure, Johnny. No, I, I have to interrupt because. As a Sephardi, I can tell you, people make this mistake. They think there are multiple different traditions within Ashkenaz, but a single Sephardic tradition. It's nonsense. We have the same kind of shul where there's a Taimani shul, a Sephardi shul, an Ashkenazi shul, which has Ashkenaz as Sephardi. Uh, but truth is, if you are an Indian Sephardi Jew, right, uh, and uh, in, you'll tavern with a certain tone and nuance, mm -hmm. and, uh, and there'll be certain words you add, and if you're Moroccan, it'll be different. The the fights you can have within a Sephardi shul are immense. So please, don't tell me that in a Sephardi shul, they just have that singular thing. No way, right? The, fair the enough. Absolutely. Yeah, happen there yeah, are totally totally fair. Spoken like, spoken like, spoken like. A good spot. Reggie is Ashkenazim. Okay. Very important for us to be educated. I didn't know that before. That like the Temani Shul is its own show. Like the Temani Shul is a whole different style than the Sardi Shul. And they're not going in there anyway. Molly, you were saying. Okay. But all I just wanted to say is that in the in the Ashkenazi Shul Kailu, it goes by the Chazan, and there's actually a. Uh, a petek, like a like a sign, which gets flipped if it's nusach Ashkenaz or nusach Sfard, and it can you know you could have shach nusach Ashkenaz, then you could have musaf nusach Sfard, which is why um, you know the the, the, the Sudar Johnny was referring to is helpful. I actually have a friend whose whose uh, son made her a, a, a kedusha nusach Sfard to put into her Sudar so that she could you know because she she's you know, mm -hmm. meticulous in that way, and she wants the words of the, you know, I just be like, I know the words, I don't need to, you know, whatever, I'll dab with my Indus you know. Uh, I will say, I will say, like, as you live here, you get used to it, you just get used to it, but for our, my relatives, many of them who come, yes. and just dab like, the show, they just find it very yeah. jarring, they just yeah. find it very complicated. Okay, I want to, I wanna, quick answer, I want each of you to answer quickly, and very briefly. Molly. Do you say Hallel on Yom HaTzma'ut and Yom Yushalayim with a bracha? Did you before you moved here? Yes and yes. Okay. Johnny. Um, uh, can I, you know, I'm actually going to give a brief. No, I'll tell you why. Because people make this presumption, and I think they're profoundly wrong. That a bracha on Hallel is a measure yeah. of your Zion. No, hundred percent. I didn't ask that question. I just, I, I didn't say that. I just want to know the so, answer. So I will, uh, so I will say to you the following. It's like Elizabeth says. Elizabeth says, Elizabeth says, Johnny, are you really Tioni or not? Answer the question. Right. So, I'll, so I'll tell you how much Tioni I am. I can tell you that on Yom Atzmut and Yom Yerushalayim, I say. Which I didn't say in Which you did not. Right. I did not. Okay, but finish the sentence, but. That's it. That's it. That's what I'm I saying. I asked about Hallel. All right, that's right. Uh, I, we, we say Hallel with a in my shul. Yeah. So you say Hallel with a bracha? I, I said uh, we say Hallel with a bracha. Okay, are you holding your Bible? Are you holding your Bible or a Bible? Who have issues with the bracha for technical halachic reasons, you don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed. So I will answer the question myself. You halachic Jews. I will answer the question myself. I did not before I came here. And I do not on Yom HaAtzma'ut, on Yom Yerushalayim, I do. I'm not entirely sure what the difference between those two things are, except for one is a specific day. But I never told my children. I don't tell. Them, I didn't tell them, and they just dabbled with the tzibur and this minhag or this alachic practice. Well, go by the way of the dodo bird with me, because I'm not passing it on to my children. It's, I, I, it's messed up, but that's just, just the way I don't think that's, that's messed up at do. all. I don't think that's messed up. I think that's a beautiful um, example of how, you know, I was talking before about coping up 
Minhagim, and you're and you correctly said that they evolve, and that's a nice example of evolution. Okay, uh, I think this is where we'll wrap it up here. If there's anything you all wanted to add, I mean, this, I have to say, I, this has been a fun, fascinating discussion for me. Just interesting, and there's so much wrapped up in it about both culture. There's, there's obviously you could give a whole series of lectures that I'm sure Johnny's thinking about how to do about minhag and the power of minhag and the halachic status of minhag. Of and course, then, I've done this, or I'll, I'll gladly send my shirim that I've given some years ago to whoever's interested. I don't understand. Okay. Does that mean you're at the art site today, Ruby? Because you said you'd have... No, no, I'm saying Kader for someone in America who's oh, uh, okay. mother passed away. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another interesting question, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, uh, um, but there, there's so much more to say about it, but it just reflects the complexity of life as a Jew today, you know, we never really discussed what is the meaning of minhag in a place where there's literally no minhag. There's no there's no place where people still are where they were. I mean, the, yeah, there's nobody. The German communities are not in Germany. When I'm not in America, I have to say my minhagim from my father. He didn't get them from his father because his father was from Poland, from a Hasidic town in Poland. My father he didn't remember anything. My father got all these minhagim that he learned in yeshiva tells in Cleveland. So I'm not a tellzer. So, like, what does it even mean to have minhag today? Well, one generation is that minhag abotenu biadenu. Like, so, in, in, in an era of massive ba'alei chuba, in an era of complete migration, an era of total, I would say, you know, in Michigan, mixing of the masses, somebody has to ask the question: What does it mean to have a minhag at all anymore? What does that? What, what does that? What does that even mean? And I think that's an interesting question that we're all kind of struggling with. And uh, I don't think I don't feel like after this wonderful discussion. I have an answer. I don't think I don't know if there is an answer, but rather think, uh, a sense of yeah. I sense you do. You think there is an answer? Well, I think no, there's I a think sense of allegiance and a desire. From. I think that let's say the Ethiopian community, and again the um, the, the certain certain Eidot Hamizrach and the Yekish community still is holding out in certain places. There are communities to whom Minhag was very very precious, and they held on to it. And there are other places where where Minhag was less important, and that's more the melting pot. And so I. I, I I don't disagree with what you're describing, but from like I, I happen to have very, very close very knowledge. Strongly because look, I, I look at look at the example of the Ethiopian community that you gave. So Ethiopian community is an incredible example because you had when, when the Ethiopians moved to Israel, Israel did a, the thing that it always does to immigrants and it blotted out their the Which idea of their crime. community That's a Hold on. Well, first of all, first of all, we said that their Judaism wasn't really Judaism. That's what we. That's so what there we were said. multiple crimes that were done to the Ethiopian community. Uh, okay, now you have a generation of young Ethiopians who are raised totally Israeli, who want to return to their roots and don't really know or have any sense of what it was our what were our customs, how are they how you know how are they passed on because they can't even speak the language. So that minhag is going away. That's not quite the case. That's why my dear friend... Rashi Rashi, he's trying. Rashi Shalom is a historian. He is not a community leader. His community does not carry on... What are you talking his, about? I love Rav Sharon. He's a great friend of mine. His community, where he is the rabbi, they do not carry on Ethiopian minhagim. And he wrote the Shulchan Aruch. He's not a rabbi of the Ethiopian community, but that's irrelevant. I'll tell you How why. is it irrelevant that he's not the rabbi of the Ethiopian community? Because t- I'll tell you why. I've been with him. Say, I, know, I know you're close to him as well. We've been together in Yemen, Ord, right? I remember we were having lunch, so we had a meeting, uh, and hundreds of kids 
came up to him as if he's their spiritual leader. They haven't spent time with him, but they see him as a religious guide, meaning it's irrelevant where he, he davens on a Shabbos morning. What's relevant is, is he a voice to maintain and promote and to safeguard Min Hagim that many have been uh, very, very quick to dismiss? Answer is yes. And as you know, it's something that I myself have written about, uh, both in conjunction uh, That's another discussion. We should actually have Rav Sharon. That's but, another discussion. But I'm, all I'm saying but, is that Israel but, however, has, has, like you said, Israel... Uh, is a melting pot for better, for better or for worse, but it's a melting pot that that intentionally uh, uh, blurs custom. It intentionally does it, as you said in the army, the way Rav Goron, Rav Goron did it. It intentionally does it. It consciously does it in order to try to create a broader Israeli society. It does it in many, many, many different ways. You know, did, did you did you put on tefillin on Cholamoyed before you got here? No. Uh, I did. I did. Do I do it here? Gladly not. That's the meaning. Nobody does it. You should no know, one. though. Well, but there are people for whom it's hard <laughs> to not. <laughs> Which I appreciate. But the whole thing is, as I'm trying to wrap up this discussion, it's very hard. Minag had such power because it was like the glue. It was like the the tapestry that wove together halacha. It gave it gave halacha its its beauty and its meaning, and it gave it its its like flavor. It was like you took the basic food, you know, and then it gave it its sense of of uniqueness, it's spice. And in an era where we all like to sample different cultures and there is no unique different spice, I, I, I wonder, like, I only do this or you only do that. It, what is its meaning anymore? I don't have an answer necessarily. It has a halachic status, but does it have it any power anymore? I think, of course, it does. I think in the same way, it, Ruby, uh, you'll talk about family traditions, right? So, Minhagim have that power, right? My kids have learned the tunes, the Ashkenazi tunes, let's say you said like Pesach, that, that, they've heard, that they heard at my parents' house, at my um, aunt and uncle's house, and they will now sing them. And I pray that they will pass them down. And I don't want them to get lost. I'll, I'll tell you one more story. Can, wait, wait, Molly, can you think of a halachic minhag that has that same power for them? What do you mean by halach? Well, so it's interesting. You do what you can. Your do. tunes are not minhag. Your tunes are your tunes, and I love correct, your tunes. Correct. I love okay. our tunes. All right. So I have one kid who wears a talis, and one kid who doesn't wear a talis. That's you made my point. You just made my point, and it's okay. fine. I, but thank you. Okay, but I want to tell you another story. I want to tell the story of my cousin's father, who um, cried when he realized he was from Frankfurt, when he realized that the tunes of not Ashkenaz. Frankfurt, not Germany, his shul in Frankfurt, um, there's nobody to sing them anymore. He cried. Mm. And to me, that story has a lot of power. And my, 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 my uncle, who gets up, and this is in America, but he also does it here. I, but again, Molly, it's again, the tunes, the tunes resonated with him. No, he, did, he didn't cry when he heard that nobody like does the vimple like they wrap it in, no, uh, in Frankfurt. No, but the vimple was a very big deal. Not anywhere here. Deal. Maybe in Royer, but not here. The truth is, I have to say, I, my kids didn't have a vimple, but like, you know. <laughs> you just put my point. I do all my mean hugging, except the ones I don't do. Said, it's, it's a tension, but I would like to, I would like, I would like, to, I would like my kids to know where they come from, to at least know them and hug him, to value it and to appreciate it, and, and to value other people's men hug him. And by the way, I, again, I think schools are going in the other direction, right? I think our kids have like, yom eda, and you're encouraged to like, you know, bring in something from your family. We're, we're all supposed to go to Yerushalayim for the Sigd. We're all supposed to go to Yerushalayim for, the, for Yom HaSigd. We, aren't we? 
But that means that it's not theirs. That means it's all of ours. No, but I'm not talking about that. No, it's not, it's not all of ours. It's, it's not, I, I, I think that's not respectful. I think it's, the, unless they want us to participate, but I'm saying something different, which is when, when I go to school for Yom Eda, right, and like, this one is doing this minhag, and this one shows the clothing from her family, and this one shows the, the whatever it is. You're not, it's not that you're meant to adopt their minhag, it's that you're meant to be enriched by their minhag. So it's so interesting. When, like, this Yom Asigid, we had an, an, on a delegation we took to England. So there's this woman who came with us and talk, spoke about her life as an Ethiopian in Israel. And she said, she told the four story, she said, it's fascinating. She said, originally nobody came. Then all of a sudden, people started coming. They're like, hey, look at all these Israelis coming. And now when like masses come, they look around like, why are all the white people in Armina? Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, a, it's a tension. Johnny, let's wrap it up. Do you want to, something you want to add? No, you know, it's funny because we were talking about um, dropping certain minhagim and adopting some as if somehow it's, uh, it's a weakness or as if somehow that it means we're not holding fast to, to the tradition of the past. My feeling is, and, and I've told you both before, you know, I come from a, a, a Sephardic born, but grew up in an Ashkenazi community. I, I trained as a rabbi in the Spanish Portuguese community. I now live in an area uh, of many Moroccans and a dear friend is an Ethiopian. And I take from all and I celebrate it. Obviously, one has to be aware of where the lines are in terms of halakha when something is already entrenched in your life and, and, and important as a minhag, whichever label you choose to use. But, you know, I start Friday night with minhagim from my father in terms of how I make kiddush. And on Motzei Shabbat, I start by, you know, reciting a beautiful tefillah of Rav Levi Yitzchak Berditchev, you know, uh, um, in order to usher in the new week. Is this Tarti to Satri? No. I say, these are beautiful things. This is where I came from. This is ideas that have enriched me. And as mentioned before, I think just before we were recording, you know, a person has Yichus Mishpachti, where they come from. But they also have Yichus Atzmi, what they've become and what they've grown from. And part of me is Israel. Part of me is a community I'm in. Part of me is the education I've had, which may be quite different to, uh, you know, where my father came from and where his father came from. And Jewish law does not require that I choose one over the other. It requires that I at least uh, recognize where I came from while, where possible or where appropriate, finding room if uh, to to let other parts of uh, my identity express themselves and how I live and what I do. So just give you one final example, which is I daven with an Israeli accent. I speak Hebrew with an Israeli accent. When I learn, uh, I learn with an Ashkenazi accent. Isn't that crazy? The answer is, yeah, maybe it is. I learned the Daf Gemara. I sound like the biggest Ashkenazi going. Why? Because that's my, how my Rav did it. That's how we did it in Yeshiva. In Karen Biavna, no less, which is a very religious Zionist Yeshiva. Right? But that reminds me, whenever you hear Rav Shechler giving a shir here in Israel, he speaks in Habaraz for Ardina to get uh, Amar and Yeshivas. It's really funny. But like, I, right. all that means to me is that we're, we're a hodgepodge. Not confused. Listen, Ruby, I want to I say one more thing. Well, I, we have to end this because we, we, do, we keep going I in circles. Say, I'm sorry. La last point. Because you keep <laughs> no, it's fine. I really, it's fine. I'm enjoying it. I don't know if anybody's like, if you're all still <laughs> listening. Who cares what we have to say? Right. Yeah. I think that we all are aware that what you keep calling a hodgepodge is part of the beauty, right? Like, wait. The Your ancestors in Frankfurt would it? turn in their graves right. if they heard you say that. Oh, right. That is. <laughs> to ask them, but very possibly, yes. I don't even know my ancestors. I know there's some living yekir. But what I'm saying is that the rest of us, and even, and I told you the story of my mother loving to see the Sephardi Sefer Torah. She'd be happy to see it as long as she doesn't have to do it. No, no, no. 
she, I, I, well, it's an interesting question. That's a good point. It's a good point. No, but she would let's say when, to my my cousin's uh, bar mitzvah, she'd get to hear him laid from a Sephardi Sefer Torah standing up. She'd think it was the coolest thing on earth, and it was part of the family. So that wouldn't. But what I want to say is something else. I think we all feel that when we all sing Adon Haselichot, right? We all. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. We've all adapted that Sephardi custom, right? Or when, like, you know, our kids come home and they start going ha 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 during, you know, Havdalah because that's the Sephardi minhag. Um, do your kids not do that? You're looking like I'm crazy. Um, fine. That, there, there, is a, there is such a minhag. Um, or when you go to a bris and you, for the first time you, you, see, you hear a, a different nusach than your own and, and, it's, and, and you find it so moving. I think all of us as Israelis, when we find those things that speak to all of us or like when we find ways to incorporate them together, I don't think we think Hashem. Even in Yeshivat HaRetzion, they've started now. Um, when they do, uh, you know, when you do, um, when you do Slichos, Adyamim Noraim, they include now some Sephardi PU team. That's new. That didn't know. Again, that, you the just proved my point. I think it's all beautiful. But, but, really, but the idea, the idea of Minhag, the idea of Minhag was never what you just described. But it was, that, but that, we maintain the, the customs of our ancestors Correct. and their ancestors no, before no, us yes, because sorry. that cultural glue is what preserved and us as a cohesive community. The Ichalta de Geula is that we are... We don't need that cultural glue anymore, but we're going to respect and remember it, and we're going to create a new, again, tapestry that both incorporates all those minhagim and also appreciates from the side all those. And that is why I really do believe that we're in a new historical reality. Thank God. Okay, I think it's a great place to end it. I really a beautiful thought, which I agree with. It's just a, you know something to consider from a lack of point of view. I want to thank Molly Brasky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon for Anit Malibrowski and Rob Johnny Zellerman for joining with us. My name is Ruvain Spalter. I have to give all the credit, you know. I want to thank my son Patahe Spalter for our music. Please rate us on iTunes or whatever app you use. We're now on Spotify, iTunes, I don't know, all the, all the apps we're on. Please rate us, share, spread the wealth, spread the RZ weekly love. Have a great week, everybody.